In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode 32. Joining me today is my shrewd co-host, Patrick Pister. Hey, Mark. How you doing today? Man, we've been so busy. I don't know how many events we've went to in the last couple of months, and we got a whole calendar in front of us. Week after week after week, and more coming. And more coming. And it's all good stuff, right? We're getting the word out. We're meeting a lot of good people. We're meeting a lot of our audience and a lot of our followers. Um, you know, The podcast isn't a road podcast, but if we, this keeps continuing, <laughs> it will become a road podcast. And we actually have a guest today, don't we, Patrick? We do. We've got Alan Seymour. Um, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so, Alan, we have a kind of an interesting story. You and I actually don't know each other yet. No, we don't. <laughs> and so we actually had somebody introduce us um, who uh, you actually have an online relationship with, but you haven't met yet either. Yeah, it's kind of a strange, strange story. I met this uh, Larry Young out of Canada, and he was going to do a story. Uh, I guess was he was actually going to come and interview with you, and he couldn't make it, so he referred me to you, and I'd already actually known about you and your company, so I jumped on the opportunity. Yeah, he has a uh, yeah, Bulldog Environmental uh, yeah. company. Yeah, but isn't this a great world, Patrick? So, so literally somebody that I've yet to meet um, introduced Alan to us, and now we have Alan on our show, and it's, it's like this little world that's global. The industry's changing. It's, you know, it's before you had to get it to go to, like we were talking at lunch, you had to go to a conference and see somebody and, and start up a conversation. Now it's, it's, it's global. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And technology has allowed us to meet people and have communications and get to know people. Like you said, you don't even know. You and Larry haven't even met yet, but it's like y'all are best buds already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we communicate quite a bit. Yeah. And it benefited our show. So, um, and you're actually, it doesn't sound like you're from South Texas. I am not from South Texas. <laughs> I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. In Cleveland, Ohio. So before we get into what, uh, what you do, let's kind of tell your story a little bit. So you're from Cleveland, Ohio. How did you even get near this industry? Like where did it all first start? Personally, yeah. for myself, I, yeah. I joined in uh, in this industry with, with the family-owned business about a year, year and a half ago. Originally, uh, with technology we're talking about, I've been in telecom and fiber optics for years and went to other, uh, went to other uh, industry-type type areas. And then I moved into doing more consulting. I owned an IT company for quite a while. We managed networks. And while I was doing that, my uncle, who owns the company I work for now, started getting into... Uh, more and more development in these type of products we're going to discuss. And I got excited about them, so I actually sold my company to join his over the years because of where I see these going, uh, with tied with the whole Internet of Things scenario and, and uh, smart cities and everything else. Yeah. So, Alan, we were talking about this just a minute ago before we cut the mic on. You have your Ph.D. What is your Ph.D. in? <laughs> I knew that was going to come up again. <laughs> yeah, it's actually in psychology, uh, focusing on like behavioral profiling. And then immediately everybody always asks me right away after that if I'm analyzing them. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know that's what's going on right yeah, now. Yeah, right now, yeah. Yeah, that's just a great no, story. Yeah. It just goes to show you. So if we have any young people that are out there, regardless of what your undergraduate or if you get a master's or even a Ph.D., some way, somehow you can use it in the oil and gas industry, I promise you. <laughs> Um, so, so, Alan, uh, you work now for Cleveland Elect Electric Laboratories. What does Cleveland Electric Laboratories do? 
Live Luck Laboratories, I always tell people we are a sensing company. We've been around 97 years now. Uh, we have two locations in, in uh, Twinsburg, Ohio, we're outside Cleveland, and then Tempe, Family Arizona. owned for 97 years? Yeah. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, it really is. And my uh, Jack, who owns the company now, Liskey, he's, he's uh, really taken it to the new levels and done these great new things. So we started off basically in high heating temperature, industrial temperature type scenario, sensing heat. And as time went on, we moved into aerospace, uh, engine testing for some companies. And while we were doing that, we started moving to fiber optics to see if we can get heat readings through fiber optics. And while we were doing that, our engineers started seeing all these different ways to grab information from the fiber optics. And we spent about 12 years now in research and development, and we've been releasing the products over the past few years now. And our newest one is uh, you know, part of what... Uh, uh, brought me to, to Mark is our gas leak uh, detection, fiber optic based. Yeah, so fiber optics, you and I both have this telecom background from a million years ago. Um, you know, it used to be everything was copper, then fiber came on board, and fiber has the ability to transmit so much more data for the same physical size space. But fiber in the beginning was very um, expensive and difficult to deal with, but now that's changed a lot. And now y'all are actually using fiber to measure all kinds of stuff, aren't y'all? We are. We, we can use uh, fiber to measure things from on bridges, from strain, temperature, uh, displacement, uh, security. We get into monitoring manholes, perimeter type security. We built it into mats so we can tell if you're standing by a door, things like that. And now, you know, acoustically, we we're actually able to use the fiber to grab sound signals on pipelines. And so what's the advantage of using fiber versus an electrical circuit? One of the biggest ones uh, with fiber is passive. So there's no electric at the sensor whatsoever. So you can be in high areas that are, don't want to have spark, which gas lines fit usually very well. Right. It's EMI resistant, RFI resistant, and, and security, which they really like to EMP resistant, which is electromagnetic pulse for um, those are areas to it. And again, it's, it's like what you just mentioned, it's a lot faster. In a lot of ways, it's becoming even cheaper. Yeah, it is becoming cheaper, especially if you look at how much uh, data you can carry over the same size circuit, the cost is coming down. And I, I kind of want to, before we go down, I want to talk in, they'll make sure that our audience understands this. So this is sensing technology that is passive, which means there's no electrical current being used because it's used fiber optics, using light, literally, using laser, literally. And because of that, the actual sensors don't need a battery. The sensors, if they need be, can be made, uh, was that class one, div one, the, the explosion proof, yeah. And you don't have to worry about if you lose electricity, as long as the main part of the, of the sensing universe, the, the sensing devices is powered, the rest of it just runs. And so in oil and gas, it makes perfect sense. We don't like to have, you know, powered circuits everywhere. We try to have stuff that's safe as possible. And you mentioned something, manhole covers, and, and I want to kind of talk about that before we get to the gas pipeline. Y'all have actually done a lot of work for, you know, municipalities and government agencies to monitor manhole covers because manhole covers are one of those places from a security point of view that people don't think of. No, no, they don't. And in one of years, I, I wish I could actually tell you some of those. We just I can't I release know. those because of, the, of where they are. But one of the biggest things, one of the stories I always tell, and actually I didn't tell you guys this at lunch, is I was listening to a major movie studio. I won't use their name so I don't want to embarrass them that way but they <laughs> talked about how they changed all their security infrastructure in six months which is impressive uh, and I said what if I was standing outside the wall of your big studio and I know there's manholes on the sidewalk there I jumped down in and I cut all the fiber lines how well does your security system work and all I got were blank stairs and they basically said we never thought of the manholes yeah uh, and but people understand most of our fiber optic and our infrastructure now runs underground that is accessed by either manholes or handholes they call them which are a little smaller than the, the big circles we're used to seeing 
Yeah. And so that infrastructure is vital. But once again, it's something that you just don't ever think of. And you may have as secure a premise as possible, but what, where does all the infrastructure that's feeding into your premise? What is monitoring that? And so I just think it's really cool that y'all noticed that. Y'all actually built a sensor for manholes. To, to, and that, I'm sure, integrates with the entire uh, ecosystem of everything that you do. Yes, it, it does. It um, also will, we actually can miniaturize it, will fit in doors and then what's called for skiffs, clean rooms, if it's on, they want to see it, everything. If you if you unplug your computer from the box, it's protected. So we've designed it actually to, and it integrates with the other products through the software. As you mentioned, the light source that goes through to hit these um, sensors, usually about five times a second or more, uh, there are different interrogators that send the light for like, as it opposed to the gas leak, as opposed to the uh, manhole sensor because of the different technology, we've had, the patented products we've actually had to actually then invent the ways the light's interrogated as well. So let's go to the whole gas sensing, because I think there's- Sorry, a- I want to go back a little bit, because ta- you're talking about street manhole covers, but I was recently in the last couple of weeks on a ship that is actually concerned about their escape hatches. That those were, there's a, they're a point of access, so they wanted to, to lock mm-hmm. those up. So they were using ratchet straps on the inside to lock the manholes the, the escape hatch is down, which you're stopping somebody from getting in, but now you've added another barrier for an escape hatch that somebody needs versus using some kind of technology to yeah. monitor those. Yeah, and ours would be would easily adapt to that. And what's even better with fiber optic, we etch in, I call it like an address, but fiber optic, what we do is call a fiber brag grading method with that particular science that it gives, it gives. Each one has its own little address almost. And we can tell them exactly which hatch or which manhole was activated at that time, not just zone, but exactly where that one was at. So if someone, when the ship wasn't supposed to be escaping or going to that hatch, they would know exactly within less than three seconds. That well, and people like to use those all the time to get from one deck to the next as it's quicker mm-hmm. and it's easier. But I've heard of several instances where they'll be going through those escape hatches and they didn't latch it and it'll come down on your hand and it, it wipes them out. So right. knowing when somebody's accessing those when they're not supposed to be is also, it's a safety issue on, on board vessels. Yeah. yeah. And then they can decide what they want to do with the information we give them. Cause we can, we can set it up that it's, they see it open, gives an active alarm or it's supposed to be open. So they know, and it doesn't bother them. So there's all different levels. They can actually interact with the software. Yeah, and water tight integrity is a big deal when you're talking about offshore vessels. And it's, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, that's actually a, a, a good thing before we get into this whole pipeline thing is literally any structure out there has ent- points of entry, has uh, gangways, has doors, and y'all have the ability to come in and passively monitor all that so that somebody anywhere in the world that needs to can look and see what's going on, which door was open, which cabinet was open, which manhole was open. Oh, absolutely. We also do it on now with bridges where Department of Homeland is we're already concerned about some bridges in particular, and we have security where it's a platform-type mat and if anybody stands on that mat, immediately a camera pans, hones in, they can see who's there, they're supposed to be there. And, of course, if they try to climb a couple of the pylons, they know immediately as well because they worry about uh, whether it's someone who's thinking about suicide or someone right. trying to do damage to their bridge because and today that's a, a real-world concern. Absolutely. So let's let's go over to the whole pipeline uh, thing. So, um, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize this, but – the massive amount of pipelines that are in this world. And if you look at, if you'd ever look at a map, in fact, Patrick, we need to get a map a picture and put it in links to show notes of all the pipelines just in the U S literally it's hard to find ground where there is no pipeline. And a lot of these pipelines are old. They're aging infrastructure. The problem with aging infrastructure is you start worrying about having uh, issues, specifically leaks more and more often. And y'all actually have a product out there that can help with pipeline leak detection. Yes. That's our most recent one that uh, we we released We've done testing on our on our own pipeline that we put around our around our own infrastructure. So y'all built a pipeline to test this. 
We did. <laughs> I wonder if you can sell access to it, like if Kinder Morgan or an enterprise product needs access around your building, you have the infrastructure already yes. in place. <laughs> I, I wish. We can't do a live demo, though. <laughs> um, so y'all built a, a live pipeline to actually test this, and um, in that process, what have y'all figured out? What we've done, we've, we've used water, usually at 100 PSI pressure. Wow. And it can go up and down, and we have it activated to do different levels. We've been able to, with the leak itself, we've been able to, way we space the sensors out, uh, we can get a leak within about 20 to 30 meters. Okay. Um, and so it gives a lot less area to, to find. And with an impact, like if a backhoe hit it, rock, hunters who like to shoot guns at things, uh, <laughs> we can actually, we think we can get that sense within one meter of the actual impact. Yeah, that's, that's incredible because the whole thing about pipeline integrity is that you know you're going to have a problem. You don't know when, but you know. But when you have a problem, you want to identify it and pinpoint it as quickly as possible so you can mitigate that risk. So literally, um, y'all can help a large pipeline company, you know, a 1,000 miles of pipeline, you can help them within, what did you say, 20 meters? Yeah, 20, 30 meters. 20, 30 meters. I mean, that talk about troubleshoot, troubleshooting time by, you know, 95%. And so, and once again, this is using passive technology, right? So if you're looking to use this in a pipeline, you would literally just install the sensors and lay the fiber? Yes, yeah, and the, and the fiber does actually, the only time we need access to the pipe is for the sensor. The fiber can be away from the pipe, so we don't have to trench the hole next to the the pipe. That's one of the biggest concerns. Like a lot of distributive acoustic, now they attach the, you know, the pipe as close, close as they can to the pipe. We don't have to do it, only where we put the sensor on. Right, and you own, the, the actual fiber can be outside the perimeter of the pipeline. It could be anywhere that, you know, you have permission to lay a trench or lay conduit. Right, like yeah. we were talking about, like the dark fiber, the fiber's kind of been laid everywhere. So if there's fiber access where one of those pipes at, we can actually use that fiber if they'll give us access or run new fiber as they wish. And so is there any limit to the size of this? Does this only work on small pipelines? No, there's cause, because fiber, the light travels, we can boost the, the signal, you know, it'll travel to 30 miles and it gets eaten up a little bit by how many sensors you have on on the pipe. But once that happens, you, as long as we have a power then source for that, which is usually a solar source if it's in somewhere, but you can boost the signal really easily then for another so many miles as you go, 30 miles again. Yeah, so there's really no limit. It's as, as You only have to install as many sensors as the client needs on whatever section they need, but if they want you to uh, monitor the entire pipeline system, you could do that as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so... What are the advantages of doing it this way versus the way that they've used, they've always done it, which tends to be SCADA circuits, analog, um, visual. I know that Patrick and I have talked before about they're using drones now to do visual yeah. inspections. So what's the advantage of actually using fiber sensors to monitor a pipeline? I get this question a lot, actually. And as a drone, since you hit the drones last, I'll start with that one. I think drones, as I was, and I've talked to quite a few of those companies, are great, what I call uh, a secondary level application, because once our sensor triggers, which usually you'll know within less than three seconds an event happened, is then the drone can either go out and make sure it's a safe environment for the people who have to go and repair the leak, make sure there's not fire, those kinds of things, and then come back. Because what happens too, like drones, once they go out and check the line and come back, what happens while they're gone? How do you know anything happened? Right. And with SCADA systems, we actually will tie in if they want to do that in any SCADA system, be a, a secondary, you know, we'll come in and help and be a, a partner with that. Like with pigs and different things like that, we could actually... I think still use it, but we can actually track the pig easier for them too because we'll see them moving through the pipe with our sensors as well. So I think we give a lot of enhancements, but like I said, ours, our signal's hitting each sensor probably at least five times a second. So it's being monitored so fast all the time, nothing's really going to get by it. And if someone was to cut the cable, all that would tell us is exactly where it's cut, go fix it because we would just lose 
right. from the last sensor on so we would know something happened at that spot. So if someone was trying to mess around or digging again where they weren't supposed to, we would pick that up. So it gives, gives kind of a security reinforcement as well. Yeah, it's a, since we both have that telecom background, we both probably have thousands of stories of people, a backhoe being where it's not supposed to be, <laughs> and all of a sudden a whole neighborhood loses communications, <laughs> and so you got to go figure it out. Uh, so um, going back to our whole conversation, so one of the things I think is really cool about this is literally, um, you know, multiple times a second, what did you say, five times a second? At the, least, yes. The entire pipeline integrity is being checked. Right. And so if there is an incident of any type, not just a leak, but if somebody runs into it, if you know there's hail damage to whatever, you know, I mean, almost immediately. So you have that peace of mind because you have that 24-7 active monitoring of the pipeline. Absolutely. That's, that's what we're trying to do is use the technology as we're moving forward to help secure. You, know, you have a couple of different ways. You're securing the people who are on the lines. You're securing the flow of the gas, oil, water, whatever is going through the line. And also gives peace of mind that have come to the towns that are by these lines that are always fighting because right now, as we see in the media, there's always issues about it's just become a focal point. If, if, if it even is as bad as it says it is, it could be. But now it also, this is a system I think that would give uh, towns and those kinds of things that have pipelines coming through a peace of mind because it's environmentally safe, it's passive, you're not doing anything more to it, but it's also then protecting continuously where they'll know something has happened. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that in the public eye, especially social media. How could you argue about the safety of a pipeline if it's being monitored that many times a second and being reported? So um, is, is Cleveland Electric only do the fiber and the sensors part for the pipeline, or do you all have like a complete package? Like, you know, this has to be reported somewhere. This has to be some software running on the back end. Do you all provide that as well? Yeah, we have the, the back end software that takes the information, makes it viable, and then we have an open API that can adapt to their command control systems or we do have one that we can offer the customer as well but most of the time what we find is they already have like a SCADA or different systems they want to use and so we've designed it so that it can fit with basically any kind of uh, uh, developmental software package. So Alan uh, let me stop you right there what is API? I think I remember maybe we can say it again <laughs> application process interface. Yeah and it's basically a translator right so um, just because you're your client has a different software or a different hardware structure, your system can still talk to it. Yes. That's what the API does. Basically, yes. Yeah, so it keeps you, it allows your system to integrate with any other system that the API is sitting there. So that's actually really cool. Um, so we talked about pipeline monitoring. We talked about um, the intrinsically safe part of having something that's passive for sensors. Um, we talked about the advantage to both the municipality and the pipeline companies and the people. But the other thing is, I want to talk a little bit about the environmental part. So um, one of the things with pipelines, if there's something in it that's not good for the environment and you have an incident and you have a leak, one of the most important things is how quickly do you identify that leak so you can start remediation around that environmental um, issue. And what a lot of people out there don't know is if you have a spill, it doesn't destroy the environment. If they can contain it and then they can remediate it, you actually restore the environment sometimes to a better condition than it was before. But once again, you have to know as soon as possible that you have that type of incident. So you'll actually really affect an environmental uh, aspect a lot because your notification time is so short. Oh, absolutely, yeah, because it is less than that five seconds. They're going to know. And a lot of times uh, what we might be able to see, and I say might, but we believe we can, because we're taking sound acoustic signatures and every different pipe within that liquid has a sound signature involved. So about the first week, we're just kind of getting that baseline when we go on so you know what that is, which also helps us get rid of what's gas companies worry about too is all the false positives things of that nature 
But when you when you do that and something corrupts inside the pipe before a lake a piece chips away, it's actually going to change the sound of that pipe in that spot. So we may actually be able to pick that up as well. So now they're actually getting told before the leak starts to happen that there's probably something that happened to that pipe. You need to check that piece out. So send a pig in or something to, to make sure it's okay. You that can is- also pinpoint the section, that that signature change, which... Yeah, really narrows your search. Yeah, because sound we know what the speed of sound is and steel pipes are different pipes. Once it hits the two sensors, it's mathematical back to that point within that twenty to thirty meters of where that signature is. Yeah, that is fascinating. So you're literally building almost a signature, an acoustic signature of that pipeline when it's operating properly. And your sensors then are listening, like you said, five times a second. And if that signature changes, you know something's changing in the pipeline. Yes. And they'll get a warning on it. It can be text emailed whatever they want to happen with that shut the valve down yeah so if i if i think that forward um the more you work in this world and the more pipeline acoustic signatures you get the better y'all will get at helping companies figure out what those changes mean absolutely because it'll, it'll keep learning as it goes forward yeah which which you actually mean the, soft, the software is learning and it's understanding or is this the the operators are learning more the when the sound changes we likely have this problem I think you have both, quite okay. quite honestly, because those guys who are working it will start to see the differences and learn as well. And then, as we were speaking off mic, when you have these guys, these analysts, these data analysts that are working now in the background, these old industries, they'll start, they can take this data now, correlate it, and start to figure even probably more things out than we are with it. No, this is absolutely a big data analytics play, because what's going to happen is the more data you get, the more accurate you're going to be. And you start, you, lay, you put a layer of big data analytics over here. Now you're speaking the holy grail of the pipeline world. You're talking about predictive failure forecasting right nobody can really do that yet they, they've tried there's a bunch of people out there but if you did this long enough you would get so good that as those sounds change you will know what's happening and you can predict something in the future that is that literally is the holy grail of pipeline integrity they'll predict it before it happens and i think acoustic is a good way to do that because everything has its own sound signature i mean it's how we know even in our own lives different voices we write we we all have our own tones and different things as well so does gas and all that in the particular pipe that they're in when we're, we're doing testing, we can actually, in a lot of ways, almost differentiate some of the planes that come over because we're so close to the airport. We can tell, and it's up in the sky there, but we can actually tell the difference between some of the planes coming over and the UPS truck. We can tell that difference acoustic signature compared to a regular truck coming in. Well, yeah. Even low tech, when I was offshore and we'd be shipping cement, we'd put our jawbone up to the pipeline to, when we started shipping to make sure, was that air going through it? Is that product going through it? Is that a spider that broke off and, and stuck in the pipe with right. that was our, our low-tech acoustic <laughs> monitoring yeah it's um so this is probably a good point in, to pause because it's about time for our red wing tip of the week so alan do you have a red wing safety tip of the week yeah you get i was thinking through this i know one of the things like chris it background areas like that and I, I, what hit me right away was uh cell phones and being in the field where there's a lot of spark and issue, because actually cell phones, what people don't realize, and they have those warnings even at the gas stations for reasons when you're calling and doing those things. Actually, things are happening that can create static and spark. So from an IT perspective, I've always warned people on two different levels of being careful in areas where, where spark's an issue, because even working in computers, you're on your phone, you hit a, a, a device that actually can uh, cause and break the issue with this on an electronic device. And the other is they're big data miners. So if you actually have cell phones and you don't want your area you're at known uh, it might be best sometimes to have operators turn their phones off when they get there because apps and games and things like that they're 
grabbing your location and everything all the time. Yeah, it's um, and I'll guarantee you there's a bunch of field techs that have already figured out that their company has an app installed on their phone, <laughs> and if they cut it off, the company doesn't know where they're at. They're it's a good yeah. tip, because I've seen people with intrinsically safe iPads and intrinsically safe flashlights and everything else, right. and when they're out on location, their phone will ring, they'll pick it up and answer it like it was nothing. Like it was nothing, yeah. <laughs> that was a great tip. So, Alan, I want to go a little bit deeper here. So, uh, big company, been around for over 90 years, know what you're doing, but really you're out there looking for um, somebody to help champion you within the pipeline industry. You're looking for somebody that you can partner with and do a proof of concept. We are. We are. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I reached out. I was glad to, to be here today. And we have a couple that are talking to us about doing proof of concepts. Nothing signed on paper. We're looking to get on. One is a compressor station. I don't want to announce that because I don't know if I'm allowed or anything like yeah, that yet. Right. So. Uh, the other is we'd love to be on a on a couple miles, two to three miles of pipeline, and we're willing, like I said, we're willing to help pay for the cost, do it ourselves. If it's one of those where they'll let us do it, we're happy to work it out any way we can, because we think we can space the sensors out to save cost up to 500 meters apart, which which is big. Yeah. So if you work for a midstream company out there, or even if shoot, if you work for an upstream company and you have your own um, infrastructure or pipeline, even if it's to move wastewater, frack water around. Uh, reach out to Alan. We're going to put the link to um, both Alan's uh, LinkedIn profile and also to his company webpage. But here's a chance for you to get ahead of all your competitors to work with a company that has a lot of experience doing this and actually uh, use something that's beneficial to your business, but you actually get to help them build it. And that's what Alan's looking for. Alan's looking for somebody to partner with to help him learn how to do this right for your business so your business benefits. And if um, you've got existing fiber optics that's running along with your pipeline, then the cost outlays even less, right? Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, because if they have dark fiber, it's already laying along that pipeline. We have to step, one, we just have to figure out, I guess this is a yes or no. Usually it is because the people that are have, that control that line want it's better for them to actually run it out or, or have it purchased because now they're making something on a line. Other times, because it's becoming, we see in the security industry, we've actually found some places it's cheaper just to run our own real fast and, okay. and put it out there. So either way, we, we'd make sure. It's but it's the an option cost. if it's yes. there. Yep. Yeah, and, and I just want to reiterate, Alan's looking for a partner for proof of concept, so he will bring his best and brightest to work with your company's best and brightest to help solve a real problem that your company has, and now you're leg up on top of your competition. Now, now you have pipeline integrity that your competitors can't touch. Um, so uh, this is probably a point where we need to uh, do the Red Wing bag. And this week's winner of the Red Wing offshore bag is... Juliana Herman with Dynamic Air Shelters. Hey, I guess somebody was listening to the podcast last week. Congratulations, Juliana. Your Red Wing bag will be on its way. And if you want to weigh in your own awesome Red Wing offshore bag, just go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. See official site for rules and details. Uh, enter for your chance to win this awesome bag. Um, and Alan, if you wanted to red win your own Red Wing bag, you actually can, right? Do what Patrick said, redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information. That bag is actually right there, and it is in high demand. We've actually actually had several people offer me a lot of cash for those, and you can't. You have to actually go online and win one. Um, so, Alan, I want to uh, thank you for, for being on the show. I, I, I think what y'all doing is fascinating. I think it's cutting edge. It's really cool, um, and I've said this before on other shows, um, but I have never seen our industry look at new technology and adopt it as quick as it is now. So I think you're at the perfect point in time. Um, and hopefully somebody out in our audience, podcast audience will reach out to you and we'll get this thing done. And maybe in a couple months we'll have you back on the show and you can talk about how it actually worked and how it was great. Yeah, or we'll bring you guys out <laughs> to the line. You can do a whole live, we'll do a live vlog from out there. Oh, there we go. That would, yeah, that would be awesome. We have to actually put that in the books. Um, and speaking of put stuff in the books, it's, um, we actually have a LinkedIn group. If anybody out there hasn't been notified of it yet, it's an oil and gas global network. It's where this podcast and all podcasts 
reside on LinkedIn. Type uh, in OGGN, you'll find us real quick. It'll pop right up. Uh, we had some interesting issues recently all around the fact that we have a real person that moderates everything on the LinkedIn group. And that's a big plus for if you remember. No spam. We have every person that joins, every post is looked at a real person before it's approved. So our LinkedIn group is zero spam. And we're yeah, and even if it's not spammy, it's got to be useful to the group. There has been some posting on there that we've had to cut out because it's it's not technically spam, but it's useless information. Well, it's self-promoting, yeah, bottom line. Yeah. And, and we'll let you do some of that. Um, but if you that's all you do 24-7, you're out of there. Sorry, 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 I won't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> You've been warned. <laughs> and then reviews. Um, Patrick will throw LinkedIn to the um, HubSpot article. It shows you step by step to actually how to leave a review in iTunes. It's a damn shame that we actually have to have a tutorial. <laughs> but I've had several people reach out to me saying it was just difficult. So there's there it is, step by step. And now you have no excuse. So can you please, if you know how to leave a review in iTunes, leave Patrick and I a review for this show. And if you don't know how, click on the link that Patrick's gonna post. And now you don't have excuse. Um, we need some reviews. It helps us rank higher in the search engines and also helps your peers find the show and see that it's worth a darn listening to, which hopefully it is worth a darn. And if it's not, let us know in the review. And then if you like the show, can you do me a big favor? Uh, if you're in HSE, if you're in operations, I, I don't care what you're in. If, if this is shows valuable to you, can you share it within your network, your friends, your family, your coworkers? Also on social media, right? Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram. I don't, I don't care what it is. Um, but just help us grow this audience because we have some big stuff coming up. Um, we are going to be all over OTC. Uh, we're going to be at uh, National Oil Well Shrimp Boils. Um, uh, doing live podcasts from the actual shrimp ball during the week of OTC. You come by, you may get on the microphone with us. Yeah, we have a roving mic. And also, we're going to be on the floor of OTC, I believe that Monday. Um, we're going to be there that entire day. We're going to have oil and gas HSE at the Red Wing booth, once again with a moving mic. So come by. Um, we'll also have um, oil and gas this week there. And we will also have oil and gas industry leaders at the, um, at the show as well. Your SPE HSE conference that you're heading to. Oh, yeah, and then um, next week I'll actually be in Dallas, which this show will be out too late for that. Yeah. yeah. So you missed me. You could have come heard me speak at SVE <laughs> in Dallas. I'm doing the oil and gas business drivers. That should be a fun trip, but by the time you hear this, it'll be too far gone. And then I want to men mention, speaking of trips, we are, our on-the-road sponsor, uh, Lee Heck and Harrison. Um, they're global experts in talent management. Over 75% of the large oil and gas companies use them for leadership and workforce stuff. So if you're an oil and gas company and you have a workforce <laughs> or you have leaders, reach out to Lee Heck and Harrison. Great company. Makes all our road trips possible. And then, Patrick, uh, this will be out before the Texas Open Invitation. So we're all, all three podcasts will be at the Texas Open Invitation, March 28th and 29th. I talked about OTC, and then we're going to be at the P BP MS-150 in the end of April. Aren't we? Yeah, we're, we're going to do a podcast with them before then, but we're also going to be at their event, um, whether that's in LaGrange or in Austin. Uh, it's a two-day bike ride charity event benefiting multiple sclerosis research. It's a great organization. I've been a part of it as a rider for several years now, but um, we're going to be involved with them and, and actually do a podcast from the event. Yeah, and we need to get Patrick and I on the road. So if you have a trade association, HSE group, um, a gun club, whatever, and you like Patrick and I to come visit and come talk to you, do a live podcast from your location, we'll be happy to do so. Reach out to Patrick and I, we'll share the details. Alan, I want to thank you once again for being on the show. This is fascinating stuff. It's um, I think you're in a great place. Obviously, you're working for a company that's been around for over 90 years. You're onto something. If people want to find out more about your company, where should they go? Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, they can go to www.clevelandelectriclablabs.com. And Patrick's throw a link in the show notes. We'll yep. also put a link to your LinkedIn profile if people want to get to know you personally. A lot of stuff, short amount of time. Um, this is a good one. Yeah. Thank any, you. Anything else we need to do, Patrick? No, I think that's it. 
All right, folks, so don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. for a while in, in Pennsylvania in the gas industry. I think one of the craziest things I always had to deal with was when we would go deer hunting and hunters would decide to try shooting one of the animals off one of their compressor stations or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're just waiting for yourself to disappear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even out there hunting, don't yeah. shoot near natural gas facilities. <laughs> it's just not very smart. <laughs>